Hey, boys, you want to come up here and pray with us? Hey, if you think I'm not the pastor that's going to call you out, you're, you don't know me good enough. Because <laughs> I will. I remember Dale looking at the kids and going, hey, do you want to pray? <laughs> to stop them from talking. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's, let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We praise you for your word, for your grace, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are always, always faithful, God. We thank you for your word, God, that is our guide for everything regarding faith and godliness, Lord. We thank you that your word is effectual, that it changes us, that it molds us, that it shapes us by your spirit, God, and that your word ever, ever con convicts us of sin. It, it convicts us, Lord, to live our lives for you. It gives us knowledge to understand what you would have from us, of us, and what you have done for us. Lord, we ask that you would help us tonight to, to submit ourselves to your spirit, to your word, to, the, to your son, Father. And we just come boldly tonight before your throne of grace, Lord, to receive what we need from you and to give you all the praise and all the glory that is in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening. I'm going to read from the 85th Psalm. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. And you covered their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you not prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant to us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but, sure, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Man. Man, it's hot up there. I'm sweating this shirt. My stomach starts leaking in this shirt. Will you push your pulpit that way, son? Right there. <laughs> I'm really, Stop. I'm really messing with her turning it all crooked. Well, everybody's over here something to and I can just preach this way. I'll do my face straight ahead. <laughs> Did you see the look I got? <laughs> well, praise God. I'm excited. Hey, we're going to pray. Okay, I don't see money in the offering, but we're going to pray. And I'll pray over the offering while I'm praying. Amen. Amen. That way I don't forget. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We praise you for your word, for your grace, for your mercy, God. We thank you, Lord, that we are able to give. Lord, I pray that every seed that is sown here, Lord, every offering and, and tithe that is took in, Lord, that you would bless those who give. 
Bless the church as it goes out to accomplish your will, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom in handling your finances, God, and let us do that with discernment and care, God, that we would do just exactly what you want us to do. Lord, we pray through the reading of the word. We pray, God, that you would bless our ears and our hearts that we can receive, God, and hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us through his word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'm excited about tonight, okay? Tonight's an exciting night for me because me and Mike have had this conversation. And I knew Mike was going to be like pumped up that I'm talking about a subject that he's like, yes! Finally, he said, yes, Kevin knows this, and, and he's, he's talking about it, okay? I know he's going to be excited. I'm excited. I want to recap. Tonight, I titled tonight, Genesis 1, Part 3, Day 2. Now, that's the heck of a title, but uh, uh, <laughs> Genesis chapter 1, Part 3, Day 2. Amen. That's what we're going to talk about is day two. Amen? Amen. All right. We're going to start uh, from the beginning of the chapter, just like we did in John. We're going to read through verse eight. I'm going to be reading from the King James, and then we'll go back and read through it, uh, through some notes, through the ESV and things like that. But let us begin. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening, and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And so it was. And God said, or, and God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Amen. I'm excited about this. I wanted to uh, read a few notes before we got started. Uh, but the one thing that I want, will continue to say is that right here in the second day, we're again forming. We're still forming things. We have not yet begun to build things. Amen. Uh, uh, day one, day two, and day three are all about forming, forming things. And then days four, five, and six are all about filling what was formed, okay? First day, light was created, and light and darkness were separated to give us day and night. And what you'll notice is tonight, waters are beginning to be separated Waters above and waters below, what is called a firmament. And then on day three, we're going to see that dry land appears, okay? So we're seeing formation of the, what was in the beginning. You know, we saw verse one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse two, it said, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, 
right? And we talked about how the deep was waters, because the very next thing it says is, and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. Amen? So here we're seeing in day two the formation of these waters. He starts dividing the waters. And, and people get caught up on this firmament, and they'll, they'll, they'll spend a lot more time thinking about the firmament than they will, why did God separate the waters, okay? Well, why the separation, okay? Well, we learn later on that throughout the cycles of seasons that rain and snow and dew and all these things are part of the cycle of the waters moving above to below, amen? We know that natural process now as evaporation, condensation, and then what? Rain, right? That's how it works. You have water down here that when sunlight hits it, it causes it to evaporate, right? And it gets stored in the clouds, which are above, right? We see the clouds suspended on nothing. Why? Because they're in the firmament, or above the firmament, what we call the heavens right here, okay? And then they rain water down, okay? This is talking about atmosphere. It's talking about uh, uh, weather patterns. Now, he's using his own terminology to describe these things, but we know one thing for certain, where people put this firmament as something uh, mysterious and even a hard vault in the heavens, the firmament has a purpose. It says, let it divide the waters above the waters beneath, okay? So we see a pattern that the firmament had a purpose, not just focus on the word firmament or expanse or vault. We will talk about all that, okay? But we see also that the firmament had a purpose, a reason for coming into existence. And you can see that in the verses where it says, uh, let's read verse 6 through 8 here in the ESV. It says that God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. Here we see a, 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 a reason for the firmament is to separate the waters from the waters. Okay? Secondly, if you keep reading, it says, And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. So we see the expanse had a purpose for separating waters. Okay? Now this isn't a technical design or a technical schematic of how everything works. What it's showing you is God's power to do whatever he wants with water. Amen? Now I want to read a few notes and this is a, a lot of good information so if you want to write it down and write some verses down that I'm going to give you it's going to be good. In the ESV study Bible where it says waters here, it says water plays a crucial role in the ancient Near East creation literature. In Egypt, for example, the creator god, Punta, uses, now that's just my pronunciation, that ain't a, a Spanish word, it's P-U-T-A-H, okay? That's just the closest pronunciation I can make, so please don't think I'm saying some kind of cuss word, okay? <clears throat> uh, maybe I ought to just change it. Pata, okay? Uh, okay. <clears throat> I did not mean to, to use it in any other filthy language. It's just P T 
T-A-H, and that's the closest pronunciation that I can get for a little podunk Kansas kid like me, okay? <laughs> it says, this God uses the pre-existent waters personifying, personified as the God of none to create the universe. The same is true of the Mesopotamian belief that is out of the gods of watery chaos, Aspua and Timonat and Mongu, uh, that creation comes into existence. The biblical creation, however, account sits in stark contrast to such dark mytho uh, mythologic, mythologic, yeah, mythologic, mythological, there we go, polytheism. In the Bible account, water is created. It's not a deity. Water is a creation and not a deity. It is simply something, an element that God created and it serves as material in his hands, in the hands of a soul sovereign creating God. Amen? Amen. In other words, in contrast to these other myths, like the Mesopotamian myth and the Egyptian myth of creation, where the water was God, or was a God, or it was a pre-existing thing, right? In contrast, Genesis shows you God creating the water, amen? Shows that the water is just a tool in God's hand as he creates things, amen? Now, we know that out of the water, what kind of life comes, Mike? God says, let the water bring forth what? Birds and uh, the creatures of the deep or those that swim in the water, right? And swarm. That's what he says. Those things were made out of the water, not dry land, right? Even the birds, it says this. On day, was it day five, right? I think it's on day five where the birds and the fish are created and it's out of the waters. It says, let the waters bring forth. Amen. So we see here that the waters are the medium or the tool that God's going to use to create these certain things. Just like the ground is the thing that he creates animals and us. Right? Out of dry land comes the beasts of the field. And then God forms man from the dust of the earth. Amen. So we see that the birds and stuff are going to be made from this stuff, but it's a medium in his hand. The water itself is not a God. But those other mythologies, the water is a deity, a God of some kind. Okay. And we see that differently, completely different in the Bible that God makes the waters and then God uses the waters. Amen? So, I want to separate that. I thought that was a good note for us to understand the difference between Christian, the Christian belief of creation and world's accounts, the world's accounts of creation. Amen? Or false, false God's accounts of creation. Amen? It's a good apologetic tool uh, just for just for the just for uh, the sake of doing it, let's look at day five for a second. Okay, I want to read this to you just so we can clear it up. 
on the fifth day, and it said, God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creatures that have life and the fowl that they may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. Now, just for a second, I want you to take this thought. <clears throat> We're going to talk about why some ancient people thought that the firmament was a solid dome or a rock dome and then we're going to read the fact that birds are flying in the firmament okay so it's hard for a bird to fly in a rock okay now i'm not saying god can't cause a bird to fly in a rock i'm just saying naturally we don't see birds flying in a rock of a firmament we see them flying in the sky right so we got to understand then that this word firmament can mean lots of different ideas. It can mean a solid dome. It can mean an expanse. It can mean the sky. It can mean lots of things, okay? And obviously we know that the birds fly where? In the sky, right? So when it says it's flying in the expanse, we got to understand that this expanse probably isn't a solid dome, okay? <laughs> Because it says they're flying in it. Okay? Alright, I'm just telling you. But it also said, and God created, verse 21, and God created great whales and every living creature that moved, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. So we see fish and great whales and birds made from the waters. Amen? Uh, this is interesting because we understand if we have a right understanding of day two where God separated the waters, we see that the waters are going to have a purpose, a use in creation. Amen? So I'm telling you, day one, two, and three are about forming. Day four, five, and six are about filling what God creates. Amen? Uh, I should have been an amen. Anyway. Amen. If you disagree, I mean, we can talk about it. Okay. Uh, it's simply, it is simply something God created and serves as material in his hands of the sole sovereign creator. As light was separated from darkness, so waters are separated to form an expanse in which God calls the heavens. As the ESV footnote illustrates by offering an alternative term, sky. Uh, it is difficult to find a single English word accurately that accurately conveys the precise sense of the Hebrew term heaven, heavens. In this context, it refers to what humans see above them. The region that contains both the celestial lights and the birds of the air. Now this verb or this word that's used to, to mean expanse or firmament is something that I took great pains in looking up for Mike. Okay? <laughs> I did it just for him. Uh, I want to read a few definitions that I have about this word. Now first of all, the root word that's used here is the Hebrew word, if you've got a strong concordance, you can go look it up, Hebrew word 7,549, 
Rock E R. It's spelled R A Q I Y A and it's pronounced Rocky Up. Okay? It is from the root word 755 Rocka. And this word means an expanse, a firmament, or the firmament, visible arch of the sky, the firmament. Now, Rocka, which this word is. Uh, comes from the word raka, spelled R-A-Q-A. That word means to pound the earth, to expand by hammering, to overlay with thin sheets of metal, beating or stamping or stretching. Now, if you remember this, they stamped or overlaid the, the tabernacle beams and wood with what? Gold and silver. And it's the same word used here, raka, when they're talking about overlaying it with gold or silver. Okay, it's the same word. So obviously, we can't use this word in the sense of hard, substantial things when obviously in Genesis 1, this is not what it's being talked about. Okay? Let alone the fact that we get too caught up on leaving the root word of something and we completely ignore the actual word that's being used. Because the root word is raka, spelled R-A-Q-A. But that's not the word that's used in talking about the expanse or the firmament. The word that's used is R-A-Q-I-Y-A, rakia, and it means the expanse, the, the firmament. It means the, uh, the visible arch of the sky, okay? That's what it means. So we can't get lost on root words. We have to look at the word that's actually used, amen? And a lot of people get caught up on trails looking up, oh, well, it, it was a root word of this, and it could mean this, and it could mean that. Okay, it could mean a lot of things. You know how many root words there are from the name Kevin? Okay, but the actual name Kevin means uh, handsome and uh, Amen. something else. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Kevin actually, Kevin actually means it actually means handsome. Okay, but there's a lot of other root words that the name Kevin came from. Okay, and and we can get lost on all those other meanings, or we can just look at the simple definition of what Kevin means. Amen. And, and it's the same thing with this. A lot of people get caught up on the word raka and say, well, it could mean a solid joint, okay? And let me have Judy's Bible real quick because I want to read a note that's in hers that, uh, here, I'm going to step out of frame for just a second. I, I purposely didn't bring my Bible like this because I knew Judy's was here and I wasn't going to have to bring mine. Because I'm starting to carry it. But I wanted to, I wanted to yeah, lighten my load. I didn't have to carry any books tonight. <laughs> Genesis 1 6, there's a note in her uh, Zotherman yes, NIV study Bible says, vault. And that's what the word could mean also a vault, a dome, okay? Vault has the root idea of beating metal plate and can be translated expanse or firmament. The Hebrew noun 
customarily carries out the sense of the heavens or the sky or where the sun and the moon and the stars are found. And across which the birds fly, the heavens also serve as a place where God lives and as what lies above the world but beneath the divine throne of God. At the time of Genesis, as Genesis was written, people thought the sky resembled, I want you to notice the wording here, and this is something that I found in all of searching this out, they said it resembles. They don't know this for a fact. This is their guess. This is their estimation. This is what they believe it looks like, okay? Some, when, when something resembles something, it doesn't mean that's exactly what it is, okay? I mean, I resemble, uh, no, I don't either. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I was going to think of some, uh, you know, famous person. Because I resemble them, but I don't, okay? <laughs> Just because I resemble my brother doesn't make me bright. Amen. You know what I mean? So we got to understand that even though something resembles something, doesn't mean that's what it is, right? Notice it says here, it says, uh, at the time of Gen at the time Genesis was written, people thought the sky resembled a great dome or vault stretching from horizon to horizon. Okay, so the idea of a dome or a solid expanse began to be prevalent in Hebrew teaching. This is true. Okay, I'm not taking away from the fact that that's what they believed. Okay. What I'm saying to you is, with our own two eyes, we can see that there's not a great big rock vault above our heads, okay? And we can see that birds are not flying through a rock vault, okay? Because you've got to understand that the expanse or the, the vault, the, the firmament, separates the waters above, the, above it and the waters below it. So wherever the clouds are, we know they contain water. So the firmament is in between them and the ground where other water is. Okay? So this firmament is this middle piece in between the waters. Now, we can take it like they're trying to give us a scientific explanation. Word for word, we should believe that it's a rock dome or we can take it to understand they're giving us their best words that they have to describe the weather, the sky, where the space in between the clouds and the earth, okay, which is something that Calvin talks about, which is something that many other uh, uh, old church fathers talked about. I want to read you a, a few excerpts from uh, the word could derive its meaning from the word, root word meaning a solid or clear glass hard object. It could mean that, okay? That is a meaning that could be extrapolated from that word. But just like any other word, there's many meanings to words, and it depends on what? How we understand them depends on what? Context, right? So the word meaning hard object or something that's beaten and, and and overlaid, that word refers to when they're overlaying gold on things or overlaying silver on things. That's applicable understanding it that way. We're talking about the sky. If we can think of it as it should be, 
that it's the sky, the heavens, where the birds fly, where, you know what I mean, where we see the stars, where we see the, okay, now we obviously realize that the stars are above the clouds, right? I mean, nobody's going to argue that. But where we see them is still through the firmament, right? So we know it's not, if it is hard, it's obviously transparent. <laughs> okay, but there again, it's, it tells you that the firmament is between the waters. So I know that there's waters in the clouds and there's water on the ground, right? So the firmament has got to be in between here somewhere. And I see birds flying through this in between there. So it obviously is not hard enough to be stopping birds from flying. Amen? So let's take it back to the context. Uh, Jay, uh, excuse me, Gordon J. Winham says this in his commentary of Genesis 1.6. He says, certainly Genesis 1 is not concerned with defining the actual nature of the firmament, but with asserting that God's power is over the waters. And that's something that I agree with. It's not asserting, it's not telling you in detail what the firmament looks like, what it does. You know what I mean? It's not telling you what it looks like, this is what it's made of. It's not telling you any of that. That's all extrapolation that other people are putting on that. Okay? We do know this. Like J, uh, John H. Walton says in his commentary, the function of the rakia was regulated to the weather. As, in, as, in, as is evident from the description of the waters above it and the waters below it, in, fun, in a functional approach, the author has apparently used cosmological language that was available to him to describe what he sees as weather patterns or waters above the earth and waters below on the, on the earth. Amen? I would agree with both of their assessments about that subject. I want to read you the uh, note from the King James Study Bible. It says this. Based on a verb that can be ref uh, that can refer to covering something with a thin sheet of metal, the noun firmament always refers to the vast spread of open sky. Now, in this context, the noun almost always in Scripture refers to that. Okay? Almost always in Scripture, the noun, when it's used in a noun form, the firm, the expanse, rakia, okay? When it's used that way, it is almost always talking about the expanse of the sky. Other places it's used as a verb, that's when you get into the different meanings of the word, when it's being put in action, like the rakia overlaying metal onto something. That's when we're talking about a hard substance like that. Now, the word rakia could be used for a dome or a vault, but what they're saying in explaining that is they see the expanse or the vault of the heavens. Amen? The, the, the curvature of the expanse. That's all they're explaining. Okay? Obviously, it's not hard. Obviously, it's not a rock. Amen? It's, it's right there. It's a firmament. It actually is dividing the waters. It does that. 
but we can see through it, fly through it. Amen? Amen. This is obvious. Okay? Now, we can still get into a debate whether there is a dome up there. And I would be willing to get in that debate. Okay? Or we can go on to verse 7. <laughs> okay. Mike, I'm breathing a sigh of relief that Mike let me off the hook. <laughs> uh, I do actually want Kyle, can you read uh, your notes from uh, 168 and then 16, okay? And, and do it on, on the microphone so we can hear you, okay? Come on up here. That way they can get it at home and on the podcast and all that. Uh, the Reformation Study Bible has a note here on uh, verses 6 through 8. And it says, During the second and third creative days, the watery deep is structured into a benevolent system of rain, rain clouds, springs, and rivers. And then it goes down to expand on verse 6. And it says that the expanse is describing the sky in terms of how it appears from the earth. In verses 6 through 8, expanse refers ambiguously to the atmosphere, to the sky or the boat. Here it separates the rain clouds from rivers and seas. Right, right. And that that's, uh, that's where I was going with the whole idea. And I want to show you just a little church history that that's basically how it's been understood. Okay? Now, we know that John Calvin lived in the 1500s, okay? And I, I took the liberty of looking up in his commentary on Genesis about verse 6. And I want to read the whole thing, so just bear with me, okay? Yeah. It says, And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. Calvin says this, The work of the second day was, provide, was to provide an empty space around the circumference of the earth, that heaven and earth might not be mixed together. The proverb to mingle heaven and earth denotes extreme disorder, and this distinction ought to be regarded as, a great, as of great importance. If anyone should inquire whether this uh, vacuity of the earth were not overflowed by waters, yet now, oh, excuse me, vacuity of, vacuity did not previously exist, I answer. How true it may be that all parts of the earth were not overflowed by water, yet now, for the first time, a separation was ordained, and it replaced the previous confusion of mixture. Moses describes the special use of this expanse to divide water from water. Now notice that Calvin is seeing that the water being divided, that's the purpose of the expanse. Okay? This was 500 years ago. Okay? <clears throat> Moses describes the special use of this expanse to divide water from water. This appears to contradict common sense, for it seems quite incredible that there should be water above the heavens. Some people resort to using allegory, but to my mind, this is a certain principle, namely that nothing is here mentioned that is not visible in the world. What Calvin's 
saying is some people act like this is allegorical and that they have to make up this mythological rock formation in the heavens. He's saying, I don't do that because he said, there's nothing mentioned here that I can't rationalize and look at and say, this is what this is. Okay, now watch this. Calvin says this, he says, but to my mind, this is a certain principle, namely, there is nothing here mentioned that is not visible in the world. We see the clouds suspended in the air, threatening to fall upon the heads, yet leaving us space to breathe. Those who deny that this is the effect of the wonderful providence of God are vainly inflated with folly of their own minds. We know indeed that rain is naturally produced but the great flood sufficiently shows how speedily we could be overwhelmed by the bursting of the clouds unless the uh, contracts of heaven were closed by the hand of God. Since, therefore, God created the clouds and placed them above us, we should not, for, we should not forgot that they are restrained by the power of God. So he's saying that the expanse was put keep the clouds up there and to restrain the reign of God whenever God allows it to reign. Okay? He's saying that with his own natural understanding. He's saying, I see that the water, there's obviously water up there because it rains. Right? So we know that there's water up there. And his assumption is that since there's water up there, the expanse naturally has to be between the clouds and the earth. Amen? And that's what we see. And if you take all the other understandings of the word, rakia, meaning expanse or expanse of the sky, the visible sky, then that would make sense. Any other assertion that it's a glittering vault, glass dome, or all those other things, though they could mean that, the context of the scripture doesn't really makes sense then if that's what it is. Now the context of the scripture makes complete sense if you understand it as a space between the waters, which is what it's said to do anyway. It is said to separate the waters from the waters. Amen? What does it mean by that? Now does that mean the, 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 the oceans and the streams and all of that? I would venture to say yes. Absolutely. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> now watch this. It also says, God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which are above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. Now we get confused on this word, heaven. And we already read this in one other note. Uh, from Judy's Bible where it talks about it's hard to translate this word heaven or heavens in the Hebrew. This heaven obviously is not talking about the heaven that God lives in. Amen. This has to be talking about the sky, right? It has to be. Context matters, right? So in reading it in context, we know the heaven it's talking about is the sky. Now just for Mike, Okay, you guys are just innocent bystanders in this, okay? <laughs> Let's look up some verses that talk about the firmament in different ways. Can we do that? 
Ezekiel chapter 6. Okay? Ezekiel chapter 6. <clears throat> and we'll stay in Ezekiel for just a minute and read another one because I don't want to do a whole bunch of Bible aerobics like I did this morning. Amen. Uh, Genesis 6 verse 11. And thus saith the Lord God, smite with thine hand and stamp with thy foot and say, alas for all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they have fell by, am I reading the right one? Yeah, I am. <clears throat> they have fell by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. I don't think I wrote the right one down. That's okay. Let's go to uh, Ezekiel 1.22. That one was not the right one, obviously. I'm not always the best at writing the right address down sometimes. Amen. <laughs> Ezekiel 1.22. Let's make sure this one's right before we read it. Yeah, here we go. Ezekiel 1.22. And the likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was as the color of a terrible crystal stretching forth above their heads. Now this verse is often used by people who are trying to say that the firmament is this hard crystal dome, okay? Because Ezekiel is giving a description. Now, let's talk about context. We realize that Ezekiel is what? Who is Ezekiel? What is he? What's his office? He's a prophet. Now, what is he doing at this moment? He's, no, he's not. The, no. But if you look at the context surrounding the what he's talking about, he's giving a prophecy about wheels in the middle of wheels. What I'm telling you is this whole chapter. Right, right, right. Well, what I'm saying is, what's the context around it? That's what I'm saying. What is he talking about as a whole, not just in this verse? Mike, I'm presupposing you've read this whole chapter before. That's what I'm doing. I'm presupposing, and I know you have, okay? Okay. I'm just presupposing that you've read the whole chapter, and I'm talking about the chapter in context. Because if I just take this verse out of context, it can mean exactly what I want it to be. But we can do that with any verse. I can take any verse out of context and make it sound like it's saying what I want. Okay? Just like we take this verse in Isaiah where he says, And by his stripes ye are healed. We take that verse and we apply it to physical healing all the time. Even though the context of that chapter is not talking about physical healing. It is talking about sin and us being restored by the blood of Christ, right? So in this verse, if we take the entire context of what he's talking about, then we can't do the same application. You know what I mean? We can't just say, well, he's describing the actual firmament. Let's read just a little bit before and a little bit after this so I can give you a context of what I'm saying. Okay, I'm going to start reading from verse 15. It says, Now I beheld the living creatures, and behold, one wheel upon the earth by the living creature with his four faces. 
The appearance of the wheels and their faces was likened unto the color of Uriah. And they had, and they four had one likeness, their appearance, and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. Now I want you to notice he's describing wheels in the middle of wheels and people start taking this as factual wheels. But he's also saying that he beheld living creatures. So these wheels were not just wheels, they were living creatures, right? Anybody ever seen a living creature that's a wheel? They haven't either. He's describing what they're doing, okay? And then he said their appearance was a wheel that was at work likened unto the color of barrel. And then when it says, verse 17, when they went, they went upon their four sides, and they turned, and not, and they turned not when they went. As for their rings, they were so high that they were dreadful, and their rings were full of eyes, round about them four. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went by them. Now notice now that there's wheels and there's creatures. Right? Now there's wheels. First the creatures were the wheels. Now it's saying there's creatures and wheels. And the wheels have eyes. Okay? Here's what we're doing. We're understanding very quickly that this is not a fundamental, this is what I can see with my own two eyes, telling of what a firmament is anyway. This is a prophecy with all kinds of ambiguous language that is fantastical. He's seeing things so amazing, he can't even describe them. Okay? That's what's happening. He's giving you explanations that are unfathomable to us because he's seeing a vision, he's getting a prophecy from God and he's telling you about these things. But he's only describing what he's seeing in this vision, in this prophecy. He's not explaining to you what the actual firmament in the heavens right now is. He's telling you in this vision, this is what this looked like. Or in, I almost get the idea that they're inside the wheels. The wheels are here, and the living creatures are here. And the hamster. It doesn't say that the wheels have eyes. <clears throat> Does it not? As for the rings, they were so high that they were dreadful, and their rings were full of eyes round about them four. The rings were full of eyes. That's what it says. That's exactly what it says. Uh, verse uh, when the living creature, uh, verse verse eighteen it says, "As for their rings, they were so high that they were very dreadful, and their rings were full of eyes round about them. The rings have eyes now." Okay, what I'm saying is this is not a fundamental. I'm telling you what the earth looks like. I'm telling you how the earth works. I'm telling you what the expanse is. When he's talking about the expanse in here, he's talking about the expanse in the vision of the prophecy that he's having, okay? So the expanse here is not the naturalistic expanse that we can see with our own two eyes. This is an expanse that he saw in a vision, okay? It's not the same thing. 
that was like Paul telling you he went to the third heaven. Now, did you, do you think that you could literally look up and see where Paul was, or was Paul somewhere else? Okay? He wasn't where we could see him, right? John was in the spirit on the Lord's day, right? And he was caught up into heaven, right? We all believe that. Now, if we were on the island of Patmos with him, we would not have seen him go anywhere. We may not even have seen him go into heaven, okay? But in the spirit, that's what he saw and that's where he was. So when we understand that Ezekiel is giving a prophecy Ezekiel is not giving a prophecy that he's seen right here on this earth. He's giving you a prophecy that he's seen in the spirit from whatever God is showing him. So he's not showing you a vision of the expanse that's realistic. He's giving you a, 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 an example of the expanse that he saw in the vision. Okay? And that expanse had a reason for being that color in the vision. I'm sure Ezekiel knew how to extrapolate that somehow, okay? But just because his vision saw it as a, bur a burial stone color and that it was an actual crystal ball doesn't mean that's what it actually is in reality. It was in that vision, but it was not in reality. And that's what people do. They'll take this verse completely out of context They'll take that verse that says that the expanse was, or the firmament was this, and they'll say, see, the firmament was this crystal, this, uh, crystal substance that was like Bariah. No, that's what it was in the vision. That's not what's described in Genesis 1. Amen? Amen. So we have to be able to talk about context, the different writing styles in the Bible. There is historic writing. There is prophetic writing that is full of uh, uh, metaphors, analogies, fantastical language that is meant for the prophet to explain different things about God or purposes for why God's going to do what he's going to do. And if we're reading Ezekiel about the wheel of the wheel, then he also moves on to the throne of God, right? And talks about who's on the throne. Amen. Now, we know that we cannot see this physically with our own eyes right now. Amen? So we got to understand that there is some language in the Bible that's not meant to be taken actually, literally, right now. This is what it looks like because this is not describing literally what Genesis 1 described. This is describing what Ezekiel saw in his prophecy. Okay? And that's a big difference. Amen? Big difference from reality to what's being told in the prophecy because that prophecy, if I ever even saw anything half of what he just described, I'd be on my face wetting myself. I'm telling you right now, angels with eyes inside of eyes, inside of wheels flying around, but they don't fly, they don't, they don't turn, they just move this way, move that way. I'm terrified right now. I'd be screaming on my face. Oh, Lord God, that's no wonder all the people in heaven are on their face going, you are so great, God. They're so, my, who can understand you? You know what I mean? Because everything that God does is fantastical. Once we see an actual cherubim, okay, because we got this fat, naked angel baby idea of cherubim, okay? But a cherubim is a four-faced creature with six wings and eyes all over him. You got the face of a man, the face of a, uh, three other things, an eagle, a bear, a wolf, or something like that, okay? I don't remember them all, but it's four faces, 
eyes everywhere, six wings, and is dreadful to look at. It is no wonder that when angels show up in the Bible, they have to say, fear not. <laughs> okay? It's no wonder that every time angels show up in the Bible, they say, fear not. <laughs> they have to say, I know I look incredibly scary, <laughs> but don't be afraid. And I'm like, yeah, right, while well, my knees are shaking and I'm still wet myself. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't believe you right now, okay? You look terrifying. That's why those men at the tomb fell down like they were dead, okay? Because the angel rolled the stone away. Isn't that what it said? Angel rolled the stone away. We got to understand this angel didn't look like me and you exactly, okay? He was so awesome, so so uh, powerful, so amazing that these men fell on their face like they were dead, okay? So when we're reading Ezekiel or any other prophecy, we've got to understand that this language is meant to describe things so fantastical that we can't even understand, okay? And just with this verse, this was probably the main verse out of Ezekiel that I was trying to find, because this one is so often taken out of context as like it's describing exactly what's in Genesis 1, and it's really not. It's not describing that at all. Go with me to Isaiah since we're over here. I'm almost done. You guys will, you guys will get out of here real soon, okay? Uh, Isaiah 42. Isaiah chapter 42. <clears throat> Verse 5. And these are all ones where the word firmament is used in different ways, okay? I wanted to bring clarity and I didn't want you to act like, or I didn't want you to think that I was just coming at this from a one-sided argument where I'm going to just give you my point of view and move on. You know what I mean? I want you to be able to see for yourself. Uh, Isaiah 42, verse 5. Thus saith, the God, uh, thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spreadeth forth the earth that which cometh uh, and that which cometh out of it. He that giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them who walk therein. Now I want you to understand this word heavens right here. It's the same word. This word heavens here is the same word that's being used as firmament. Okay? Can we understand this is a natural thing we can look at too. You see what I mean? They use this word in the same way. Uh, one more, I think, uh, Genesis 1.14. Let's go over to Genesis 1.14. I think we can probably stop there. I have a few more that you can have, but uh, if you want to come and snap a picture of my notes, you can do that. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, verse 14. Same chapter, different day, right? <clears throat> I'm still in Genesis 2. Gotta get, gotta get over to 1, Kevin. Okay. And God said, let there be lights in the firmaments of the heaven to divide day from night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Amen. So we see here that God sets the sun and the moon and all the stars in the heavens 
for what they have a purpose to. And we're going to get to that when we get to this day on day four. But right here, it says, let them be for what? Signs, the seasons, and uh, 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 lost the place. Yeah, days and years, right, days and years. The reasons these are set in the firmament is because the firmament is not a solid dome. We can see through the firmament because it's just an expanse. That's why they use that word, expanse, in the ESV. I believe they use it in the NIV. They use the word expanse because it's a space between the waters above, waters on the earth, which is the purpose of the firmament. And you can agree with me that the clouds stay up there when they're supposed to. Most of the time until it falls, right? And then all of a sudden it's down here. But the clouds are generally in the sky, right? That, that is true. That is true. It's caused from whole different dynamics, but you're right. Okay. Uh, the reason fog dissipates, though, is because that water vapor ends up going back up to the sky. Right? We can agree that there's water up there, there's water down here. And I think I tend to agree with uh, Winham, and I agree with Walton, and I agree with Calvin that it's describing as best as they can with the understanding that they have the weather, the earth, the expanse between the clouds and the earth. Amen? Now, I'm not going to discount the fact that that word means, could mean a dome or a solid object. Okay? It very well could mean that. And just because people believe that in the past doesn't necessarily mean that that's what it was. That may be what they perceived it to be. But it doesn't mean that's what it was. Amen? Now, I know this was extremely boring for, people that, did, for people that don't care about Greek words, or Hebrew words, and meanings of root words, and all that stuff. But what it does tell me is that God is sovereign, separated the waters on the second day for a reason, right? Because he was not only was he going to use the water for creating the birds and the fish, but what does he do with the, the water from the rest of creation? Seasons, rain, amen, rivers, the, the, all the aquatic life that lives in the water, amen? So the water has purposes beyond just being separated. They have purposes to create the life that God wanted them to create, create life out of those waters, just like on Day three, he's going to create uh, dry land, which eventually he'll use to make animals. Amen. The beasts of the field. They're keeping them. It keeps on dry land. Amen. That's what we're going to see on day five. But he creates the dry land on day three. Right? So day one, two, and three forming. Day four, five, and six. Fills the heavens and the earth with the living things that he creates. Amen? So above anything else, of all the crazy debate that we can get into on words or meaning of words, it talks about the sovereignty of God in creation and how he, by spoken word, divided the waters from the waters that he would eventually use to create life in the sea and in the air. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for letting us
come together for this very technical description of what's going on in Genesis chapter 1, Lord, on day 2. Lord, we thank you that we can study your word and be astute learners of your word, God, and that we can even not always agree on the meaning of words, the meaning of phrases, and we don't even have to agree on uh, exactly what this means, God, but we know that your word speaks the truth, that you, on day two, God, separated the waters from the waters, you put a firmament in the heaven, and it was so. We thank you, Lord, for showing us your creative power, and we ask, Lord, that you would continue your work in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.